0: Welcome to Salem Chapel this morning. If you are new with us, let me introduce myself. My name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here and opening up God's Word today. We are in this series that we've entitled Satisfied. We're walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Um, and we've been doing that since the beginning of the year, and we'll do that leading up right to Easter, walking verse by verse through this book, and really the theme that we are looking at is, is being satisfied, is living in the fullness of Jesus Christ and explaining what that means, and we've defined what we mean as being satisfied in Jesus Christ, and we've defined it this way, believing and experiencing that Jesus is better. My hope for you is that when we are done with walking through Colossians, that first of all, you'd have an understanding what this book is, but more importantly than an understanding and a knowledge of what the themes that this book discusses on Jesus being better and Jesus being first place and Jesus being supreme. And as the Colossians 1 says in that passage of Scripture that, that really is oftentimes the theme passage of this Scripture in chapter 1, that he holds all things together. That you would be able to say, man, when we walk through that book of Colossians, I can literally point to a time in my life where I believed and experienced in a greater way that Jesus indeed is better. That's what we're going after. That's what God wants you to know this morning, is regardless of what is vying for the affections of your heart, that you would believe that Jesus is better. And by believing that Jesus is better, that you would apply that to your life so that you are experiencing that Jesus is better. I made reference to it. That graphic has been behind me every week in this series and whoever's been up on this stage, that we are living in one of those two quadrants. We are living in a, in a barren, in a dry place, or we are living in a fruitful place. We are living in a place where we are experiencing growth, and what doesn't determine which quadrant we are living in is is an experience. You can be going through extremely difficult experiences this morning and circumstances this morning whether you were diagnosed with something, whether you're in a relationship dilemma, whatever it may be, and you may be going through an extremely hard time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're living in that barren place. You can be living in that fruitful place. Why? Because you are growing, you are believing, you are experiencing that Jesus is better. And that determines where we live. If we're living in a dry and empty and unsatisfied place, it's because we are not believing that reality that Jesus is better. And if we want to live in that fruitful place, in that growing place, then we need to believe and experience that Jesus is better. And that's what we've been doing as we've been walking verse by verse through this book of the Bible, Colossians, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae. And so last week we dealt with this two-part message. We started chapter 3 and we looked at verses 1 through 11. This morning we're going to look specifically at verses 12 through 17. But I do want us to look at verses 1 through 4 again to remind ourselves where we were so that we understand what we're going to look at today. And so if you have your Bible there, look at Colossians 3, 1 again. Paul says this, if, or literally means since, Since then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's two commands there in these first two verses. There is seek the things that are above, and then there there is in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above. And these really define a Christian's perspective. They ought to. What am I seeking after? And what am I setting my hands and my heart and my head to go after based on what I am seeking? those, Those two commands really tell us how we should view our present reality. And we looked at this idea this last week, and it's the same idea that we're going to expound on this morning it's this that a satisfied heart we gave that definition just a minute ago a satisfied heart is the result of a heavenly perspective how you see your present reality how you see your world it needs to be done with a heavenly perspective That's not just consumed with the here and now as pressing as that oftentimes can be but how we view our present reality is done with a heavenly perspective. We gave this definition of what do we mean by a heavenly perspective? If you weren't here last week and you didn't write this down, then I encourage you to write this down. Here's how we define that viewing my present reality through the lens through the lens of my identity and destiny with Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week I got to wear glasses now. When I at least when I read anymore because I can't view my notes or I can't read the passage of Scripture without them. I mentioned how I've tried to do that. I had to embrace a reality that I needed lenses to properly see what I needed to see. And many of us are not seeing reality the way that the Lord wants us to to see it because we are not living with a heavenly perspective. And what what that means as we define it is, is I need to view life through my identity in Jesus Christ, who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ if I place my trust in his life, death, and resurrection for my sins. But I also need to view it through my destiny with Jesus Christ, that Lord, this is who I am. This is my inheritance and what you've given me. I have the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk more about what we have in Jesus Christ, that I need to see my life not just by who I am, but what I've been given, my destiny. And when I'm doing that, then all of a sudden I am going to be seeking the things that are above and setting my mind on the things that are above. We mention how we do this according to this passage of Scripture. We mention according to the beginning part of verse 1 and verses 3 and 4, we need to see ourselves through our identity in Jesus Christ. So many of us see ourselves by our jobs or, or what job we want to have that we don't have or whether or not we're married or not or whether we have kids or not or whether we have a certain home or not or whether we rent or, or what car we drive or circumstances in our life or by our past. And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, what Paul is driving home and what the Lord wants you to understand this morning is you're not defined by those things. You are defined By a God who loves you and what he has accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. You are a son or daughter of the king. And it's time to begin seeing yourself through that identity. We mentioned that and how Paul makes reference over and over again. And we're going to see it continue in this passage of scripture we'll look at today. How many times he points back to the church's identity in Jesus Christ because it's so important. For us to live with the perspective that God wants us to live with is seeing ourselves the way that God wants to see ourselves. Then we mentioned the second way that we live with a heavenly perspective is we seek after the things that are ours in Christ Jesus. That's found at the second part of verse one. That word seek literally means desire, it's what your heart wants to go after, it's the goals that you want to set. It's what you determine is the bullseye. What is success for you? And we mentioned that seeking the things that are above literally mean that I need to give my life to the things that have eternal impact for the kingdom of God. What is going to advance his kingdom? Doesn't mean that I don't strive to be a good doctor or a good nurse or a good lawyer or a good banker or a good chef or, or a good accountant or whatever job you may have that I haven't mentioned yet absolutely you need to be good at those things and go after those things and do well in those things. But that's not the bullseye of your heart. How can I use the platform that God has given me in my home, in my workplace, wherever it may be, to advance the kingdom of God, to invest in others, to use my platform to be that proclamation tool? Seek the things that are above. And then we mentioned, well, how do we do that? And Paul gives us the answer in verse 2 and verses 5 through 11. We set our mind on what will bring us satisfaction in Jesus. See, seeking has to deal with my desires, my goals, my aspirations. Setting is the discipline to follow through on what my goals are. Remember how he said, man, a lot of us, man, we, we seek, but that's where we stop. We also need to set like the persistence and the daily grind of going after what is necessary so that the things that we are seeking after can be accomplished. That's the idea of set. And then Paul tells us how we set our mind on the things that will bring us satisfaction in Jesus Christ. First of all, he says in verse 5, put to death. We have to say no to the things that will rob us of our satisfaction. And he refers to these things in verses 5 through 11 as idolatry. Because these things that are listed, the deeds that are listed in verses 5 through 7 and the attitudes that are listed in verses 8 and 9, they all stem from a worship of me. What brings me pleasure? Let me just engage in those things because it makes me feel good. Paul says, no, 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 you put those things to death. They don't lead anywhere but bad. You put them to death. Those, those attitudes, you put them to death. And we mentioned, remember, that seeking and setting and put to death all have the idea of continuous action. You got to do it every day, continually. It's not like, yeah, I put that to death a month ago. No, no, no. Chances are you, need, you put it to death a month ago and you haven't done it since, which means you need to put it to death again, consistently, continually. It's like anything that you wanna do. You wanna lose weight, you know what that means? You're gonna to have to put some things to death and say yes to other things, right? It's not enough to just say it, not enough to want it, not enough to seek after it. No, 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 every day I am setting certain boundaries so that I can see those things that are accomplished. Which, by the way, we touched on this, but I wanna make mention of it again because we closed our message here last week is a lot of us are frustrated. We're like, man, Johnny, you tell me I have the power of the Holy Spirit and then I can't do it on my own. And I keep experiencing failure over and over and over and over again. But listen to me, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I just sit on my hands and say, Holy Spirit, guess you're going to have to do it. Because the reality is it's me partnering with the Holy Spirit to do what He's called me to do. you get that? It's me partnering with. It's me coming. It, it's, it's, it's not saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to do it for me. But, but, Holy Spirit, I know I can't do it without you. But at the same time, you also aren't going to do it for me. And so it's important that I take responsibility in saying, I am going to say no to these deeds, no to these attitudes, and I'm going to do it on a consistent basis because I understand that it doesn't lead me to anywhere does it lead me to a place where I will experience the satisfaction that I desire and I'm going to put it to death. But did you notice, look at the end of verse 9, Paul gives us the reason why we put these sinful practices to death. Like oftentimes, right when we, you know, it's not our greatest parenting moments in life, did you ever have a parenting moment like this where your kids are like, Dad, Dad, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need, to do this? Do I need to? It drives you nuts, and you say, because I what said so? Because you're tired of answering it again. Now, here's what I've found. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old that worked when they were five. Doesn't work so well now that they have a, a working brain that can reason now. Like before, I could just scare them into submission. Now I'm in a different phase. And here's what the Lord says. He doesn't say in this passage of Scripture through Paul, put to death these things, and then he just says, because I said so. He doesn't say that. He gives us the reason. Look at verse 9, end of verse 9. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. He says the reason why you need to put these things to death on a daily basis is because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Because of what you've been given in Jesus Christ. Remember I said, verse 1, Paul talks about their identity. Verse 3, Paul refers to their identity. Verse 4, Paul refers to their identity. Now he's going to do it again. So here's why you need to put off those things. Because that's not who you are anymore. And the tense in end of verse 9 is different than the tense that we find in seeking and setting and putting to death. It says, see that you have Put off the old stuff. It has the idea that this is something that has happened at a point in your life. And it has continual results. See, when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, Lord, I believe in your perfect life, that you lived to be a substitute for my sinful life. And you died on the cross for my sin, paying the penalty that my sin deserved. What I deserved was death for my sin. You rose again three days later. That when I place my trust in that, something beautiful happens. I now am a new creation. I've been made a new person in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, as 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, the new has come. I am a new person in Jesus Christ. And the idea that Paul says at the end of verse 7, seeing that you've put off the old stuff, he says, listen, you're no longer who you used to be. There's been a time in your life where you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there is continual results of that. So because you've put off the old self and you've been made a new person, and because you've been given a new position with God because of Jesus Christ, as 1 John 3 says, that that what type of love has the Father shown us, that we would be called the children of God, that's how much God loves you, that he calls you in spite of who you are, a child of his through Jesus Christ, that I've been made a new person, I've been given a new position, I'm I'm a new creation, therefore, that ought to result in me saying on a daily basis, no, 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 I'm putting off, I'm putting to death the way that I used to live, And I'm putting on the things that God has now called me to do. But the motivation isn't, man, I feel guilty. The motivation is, is God, I'm so thankful that you've made me a new person in Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so thankful that I have a position in Christ. The motivation is gratitude. These lists that Paul is now giving is not meant to drive up that legalistic tendencies that you may have. We talked about what legalism was. This is what it looks like to live as a child of God who's been made a new person, who has a new position, who's been given new power through the Holy Spirit. I love what Romans 8.11 says. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. You know what that Romans 8.11 does? It disarms every excuse that I want to make that I can't live for the Lord, that I can't put to death these things and put on what we're going to find in verses 12 through 17. It eliminates that excuse because literally, this is mind-blowing. Some of you heard it so much that it's got so much dust on it that you need to blow it off this morning that I have the power living inside of me by the Holy Spirit And that same power caused Jesus to be raised three days later out of the grave. So if I'm sitting here this morning in defeat, it's because I have not taken that power and said, Lord, I'm going to exercise the daily discipline with your strength to set my mind on things that are above and put to death the things that do not. Because I have power through the Holy Spirit, and that power gives me what? It gives me a new practice in living. That's what Paul's getting at. Man, you got you're a new person, you have a new position, you have new power, and that ought to lead to a new practice. It ought to lead to different living. Look at the end of verse 10, which is being renewed, which is, that's you, that's my life, that's your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, which is being renewed. In knowledge, like, like I'm growing more and more in, in, in who God is and how much he loves me. And I'm growing in the height and depth and width of the love that God has for me. As Paul says in his other letters to the church, I'm being renewed in knowledge. That's a, that's a constant thing that's going on. But that knowledge is leading me to be more and more like Jesus. It says being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That there ought to be in my life that I'm like, man, God, I'm not where I want to be. Praise God, I'm not who I used to be. Lord, as I look at my marriage two years ago and I look at, man, some of the poor decisions that I made and the results of that, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not there anymore. And the reason why I'm not there anymore is because, God, I, I, I put to death some things and I Said some yes to some other things. That's true of every person's story who's experienced restoration. It's always required them to say no to some things and say yes to some other things. But that's a result of living in who you are and what you've been given in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And so often we struggle, right? You may be even living in this, and you're like, man, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not the issue. But you are allowing yourself to be pulled back into the way that you used to live. C.S. Lewis gives this visual this way. Many of you probably know who he is. You probably at least know the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote that, but he wrote so many other things on Christianity. This is what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Like we're sitting in this unsatisfaction, we're sitting in this desert place, and we're a child of God. And what Paul is saying is that's, how not, that's not what God saved you for. That's not what God saved you from. He's given you everything that you possibly need to live a life of satisfaction. And why are you content to be sitting there making mud pies, living the way that you lived before you came to Christ, when you've been given all of this? That's Paul's point. You know that word "put on" that we see in verse twelve. Look at verse twelve; it says, "Put on then," and we're going to deal with what we're supposed to put on. It's an interesting word. It literally has the idea of putting on clothes. So it's literally like God has gotten us a whole new wardrobe. Right? You remember that? Remember that show? I remember this show. I can't remember the the name of it. It was on. It was on. I don't know, one of those, it wasn't HDTV, I think it was like TLC or something, I don't even know if that's still a station, but, but remember, they used to take someone and, and their so-called friends would video how bad they dressed when they didn't know it, and then they would send it in and these two people would come that were these fashionistas and they would give them a whole, anybody remember what, what that uh, show was? What Not to Wear. So you guys have, now you participate like Jesus giving you a new position, person, power, practice. I'm not guilting you. Yeah, what not to wear. And remember they would they would they would put off their old old wardrobe and they would put on something new. Now I tried to put think of some pictures of what would be considered things that you'd want to put off and things that you'd want to put on. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I was thinking of a homeless person because that's the idea. Like we had nothing before Christ and now we have everything. But then I was like, well, if I put pants up there that got all these rips in them, then it'd be like, well, I actually wear those. So I didn't want to offend anybody either. <laughs> like fashion is so subjective, right? It made me made me think like I was on Twitter, you know, I open up Twitter often and And this literally came across my feed. No, it's not put the picture up there yet. But here was the. This is from the London College of Fashion. This was this week. You may have seen this maybe on your Twitter feed. Like, I mean, it was like the top things being talked about in Twitter. It's from this designer called Harikrishan. Which, when you see this picture, I promise you, if you're like me, I ain't buying anything he's selling. But (laughs) this was literally. Some of his designs for, for menswear. Can we put the pants? <laughs> Seriously, this is not a joke. Like, I was like, how do you wear those? Like, do you put them on first and then, like, cook yourself up to an air hose? Like, how does that, how, how do you take them off? Um, this is legit. It's crazy, right? I promise you, I don't care if every one of you wear these pants, I'm not wearing them. Like, I don't care if you tell me they're in fashion. Why do, I, why do I put that up there? Because oftentimes what we put on is so subjective, right? Well, that works for you. doesn't work for me. You can wear that. I can't. That looks good on you. doesn't look good on me. Listen to me. What we're going to look at in the remainder of our time are things that fit every follower of Jesus Christ. You know, like you have a pair of sweatpants probably at home that when you put them on, you're like, man, these are comfortable. And you wear them so often that literally, it's like your family jokes about the last time that you washed them. Like everybody's got something like that, sweatshirts, sweatpants, pair of jeans, whatever, because they just fit. That's the way that we should feel with these things that we're going to look at for the remainder of our time. Because when I'm setting my mind on things that are above, on the things that bring me satisfaction, I'm saying no to some things, I'm putting to death some things, but I can't just remove something from my life without putting something in its place. And what Paul is saying, these things that, that you may be falling back into and they shouldn't characterize your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, put those to death and put these things on that fit, that bring satisfaction, that actually bring comfort, that not only encourage you but encourage others. And what does he say that we need to say yes to that will lead to our satisfaction? What are we continually to put on? He says in there at the end of verse 12, in the beginning of verse 14a, there's these selfless attitudes, There's some selfless attitudes that we need to put on. But you know what I think is interesting? Before he deals with the actual attitudes, notice what he says at the beginning of verse 12. He says, put on then, and then all of a sudden he does this identity thing again. Like if you're reading this in your own quiet time, you're like, okay, Paul, I got it. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. But the reason why the Holy Spirit through Paul emphasizes it over and over and over and over and over again is because how easily we forget, and God knows that. Why do I need to put these things on? He says there, because you're God's chosen ones. And we let that word chosen scare us, don't we? When we read in the Bible, oh. Johnny's going to talk about that we're God's chosen ones. Uh-oh. Does that mean we don't have a free will? Does that mean we're robots? Like, like what's he going to say? Stop letting that word scare you. Stop it. The word chosen is a beautiful word. Stop living in this tension and allowing, like, your finite mind to rob you of the significance of that word. Guess what, newsflash, you're never gonna understand how God chose you and you have a free will. You ain't, why? Because you got a sinful mind and I got a sinful mind and God's mind is greater than my mind. So stop letting that word scare you. Stop letting your finiteness and that you can't explain how God works to rob you of the significance that you are chosen. That word means special. I had a friend of mine who was adopted and he had two younger siblings brother and sister and they were biological kids of his parents and i remember asking him in college i was like hey do you ever like struggle with you were adopted and your younger brother and sister were biological kids was there ever that tension in the home he's like no man i loved it because i always reminded my younger brother and sister that my parents chose me (laughs) that's the point you're special and we'll never be able to reconcile exactly how, how God looked before the course of time and, and chose those that he chose people to come to Christ and, and, and we will never be able to fully reconcile that. But listen to me, don't let the fact that you will never fully be able to rationalize that to cause you to dismiss the beauty of the word chosen. You're special. That word removes pride. Because it wasn't like, well, God knew that Johnny would be pretty awesome. So he said, you're going to be on my team. No, 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 no. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love to me. And in the midst of my sin, that's when Christ died for me. And that's when Christ chose me. It removes pride. It gives me courage. It gives me strength. It gives me security. Praise God my salvation doesn't totally depend on me and you. We'd be in trouble. No, no, no. I'm a chosen one of God. I am special. You are special. It's who you are. Put on then as God's chosen ones. And then what does he say? He says, you're holy. You're set apart. Like you're set apart for me. You're to live differently. Why? Because you're my chosen. Then he says, beloved. In other words, I'm a recipient of his love. Listen to me. My activity in obedience to Christ should always be motivated by my identity in Christ. Whenever my activity for Christ or the things that I'm supposed to do is motivated by I just got to pull up my bootstraps and do it. It's always going to lead to behavior modification. You know what I mean by that? Like, okay, so-and-so is making me do this, and I'm going to do it, or I know I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to do this, or I have to do this, so I'm going to do this. You know that doesn't last. No, no. Activity for Christ always results and is motivated by understanding my identity in Christ. And he mentions these selfless attitudes. What does he say? He says, put on compassionate hearts, If anybody's got a King James Version, it says bowels of mercy. Not a term we probably use. Last I checked, there was no Valentine card saying, I love you with all my bowels. (laughs) Probably still on the shelf. But think about it. It Literally means like your stomach. Think about when when you found that found your spouse, some of you have to go way back in the quarters of time, others of you, maybe it was just a few months ago, and there was like that, like those butterflies or that little something that you can't describe what it is, like in your, where was it? It wasn't in your heart, It's right here, right? Or when that person broke up with you, and it was like, man, I lost my appetite, I lost everything, I feel sick to my Stomach. See, that word compassionate heart literally means tenderness, empathy, that stomach of mercy to where your heart breaks when you see someone hurting. That's a selfless attitude. That's what we're to put on on a consistent basis. Then he says kindness. That word's not used much anymore, right? Right? And it's hard to find often, isn't it? For us just to be kind to one another. It literally means it was used in this time period to describe wine which had grown mellow with age and has lost its harshness. You ever find that if you drink a drink, you may, may not drink wine, you whatever drink it is, it could even be lemonade, and it's made too bitter. And you're like, man, I need to add something to that. That's the idea of kindness. Like you are living with such an attitude that it mellows your harshness out. Just think about your relationships right now and think to yourself, are these the things that I'm demonstrating in my relationships? What about humility? It says humility there. Here's what's interesting. The Greeks never used this word. Because it wasn't something that they thought was something that you wanted to have a quality in your life. Greeks thought, man, I need to be proud, and I need to be confident, and I need to be, be, be just think the world of myself, that strength. But actually, Paul says the opposite. No, 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 humility. And humility is not self-loathing. It's not like, well, let me tell you how bad I am. You know what i found? That when people do that, or I do that, really what I'm doing is I'm searching for a compliment. So I'm not being humble. I'm actually being prideful. Well, maybe this is the way I can get a compliment. I'll just be self-loathing. No, no, no. It has the idea of not exalting yourself, not pushing your press. And Jesus, obviously, is the ultimate example of that. I think of Philippians 2, when it says Christ humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. And then there's that word meekness. It literally means power under control. I've mentioned that before. Like some of you right now in your relationships, it's strained right now, and you literally are looking at this as a courtroom type of experience, and you're like, man, I have all the evidence in the world to crush that person. Meekness is power under control. Do I have the power to? Yes. Should I? No. How do I work in that situation how do i manage that situation in a way that would honor and glorify the lord i know there's a lot of nuances to how that would play itself out but it literally means power under control and then he mentions patience it means more than just enduring difficulties like pressing through it has the idea of because i have such a strong faith in the lord it's how i react to others I'm gonna be patient with that person I don't need to lash out to that person I don't need to crush that person no no I need to be patient the way the Lord's been patient with me see here's what I love and then verse 14 he says above all these put on love now here's what's interesting and if you're thinking and you're familiar with the scriptures you might be thinking of Galatians 5 and 23 the fruit of the spirit right and you would be right very similar right said different ways but very similar but I love in this passage of scripture, these are the clothes that I need to put on. These are the selfless attitudes that I need to put on. Because the fruit of the Spirit, much like this, what these things that are listed here, when I have these things as fruit of my walk with the Lord, fruit of me seeking and setting my mind on things that are above, they naturally flow out in how I act towards others, which is why Paul talks about selfless actions next. Look at verse 13. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That bearing is an interesting word. It literally means to endure under a heavy weight. I would be extremely naive this morning to think in a crowd this size that there aren't many in their relationships, that you're being faced with a choice. Do I bear this? Or do I leave this? Do I run away from it? But Bear means, no, 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 I'm going to endure under this heaviness. Because in Matthew 11, 28, 29, Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek, power under control, and lowly or humble in spirit. What does that mean when I'm not exercising meekness and I'm not exercising humility? These attitudes that are mentioned here in this passage of scripture, then I'm not going to experience rest. Jesus saying, No, 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 act like me. So if I'm not like, man, I ain't gonna bear under that. I'm not gonna endure that. It's too heavy for me. Well, wait a minute. If I'm feeling that way, it's because I'm probably, it's an indicator that I'm not looking for my satisfaction in Jesus. And the only way that I bear with one another is I have to forgive each other. Isn't that interesting? Because I can't bear if I don't forgive as I look at these verses here. And listen to me, we know this, there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Nobody has a marriage that's lasted 30, 40 years. We have families in here that have been married that long and if you ask them, I guarantee you there'd be a consistent theme. We've had to learn to bear some difficult things which means we've had to forgive one another in some difficult things. You know why? Newsflash, you ain't perfect. Newsflash, neither am I. I'm gonna hurt Lori and she's gonna hurt me. So, if we're not saying, no, 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 we're committed in this and we're going to have a marriage that honors and glorifies the Lord, so that means that we're going to bear under these things. And yeah, we may need to confront some things. We may even need to seek for some help. We may need to, there may be a lot of nuances in that. But the underwriting theme in this air is that we are going to have attitudes and actions that reflect who we are and what we've been given in Jesus Christ. Now, the key phrase is in verse 13. See how many A students we got in the room this morning. Because I want you to read the phrase that you think is key in verse 13 in regards to bearing and forgiving. I'm gonna start reading it and then you can come along with me so you'll feel safe, okay? Here it is. As the Lord has, come on with me. You responded more to TLC right now than this. As the Lord has forgiven you. Say it again. As the Lord has forgiven you. That disarms me, doesn't it? Disarms you, doesn't it? Because said, man, how much does the Lord love me? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says that if I confess my sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive me all of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18 and says that Jesus is happier for the one sheep that wandered away than for the 99 who left. Jesus gives that parable of the unforgiving servant that's forgiven a debt that can't even be calculated. And then that servant runs out and strangles a guy's neck for a few hundred bucks in, in, in our monetary context today. Why? To drive home the reality. Wait a minute, how much have you been forgiven and you're not willing to forgive someone else? Listen to me, I'm not saying that there aren't boundaries that you need to set up if someone is hurting you in some way, that's not what I'm saying. What I wanna focus on this morning is this. That if you have someone coming to you and saying, man, I'm broken over my sin and and I see how I've hurt you, what right do I have to say that I don't want to work at restoring that relationship again? Because you know what we oftentimes do in our lives when we're hurt? We're like, okay, I'm going to create a ladder for you, my own little stairway to heaven for you. And once you go up those 40 flights of stairs, when you get to that point, then I'll know you mean business, and then we can work on something. But you know what I've found in my life, and I've seen in others? You know what happens when that person does hit those 40, and gets to the 40th step in your stairway to heaven? All of a sudden, you know what you want to do in your flesh? Create another 40 steps. And that's not how God loves you. And that's not how God loves me. And that's not what I need to be putting on, bearing one another, forgiving one another. He continues to say, and let the peace of Christ, that peace that gave you rest with God, forgiveness, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he says, and be thankful. You know what I've found? A thankful heart is always a peaceful and a restful heart. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Like as elders, one of the things that we're working on is memorizing Scripture together because we're like, man, we need, to, we need to be better at this. Let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Let me teach and admonish one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's community, the importance of you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're further down the road. Would you come and encourage me and how that mutually works? But look at with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he says in verse 17, it will be done And whatever you do in word or deed. Do everything. Like, there's not this dichotomy, sacred, secular. No, no, no. Do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen to me. Thankfulness is mentioned three times from verses 15 to 17. You know what that tells me? Oftentimes, I am not being satisfied in Jesus Christ, not because there's something wrong with Jesus Christ or what we read isn't true, but it's because I'm not being thankful. To be thankful for who I am and what I've been given in Jesus Christ. And we are going to take communion this morning so that we won't walk out of these doors not being thankful. So that we remind ourselves of what the motivation for me is to decide what to say no to, what to put to death, and what to put on. It's because of Jesus and what He's done for me. And so we're going to take the elements this morning and I'm going to ask our ushers when they're ready to come down and you'll find that there's this cup, and it has bread at the top and juice underneath, and you can pull back one, one layer to get to the bread, and then the other to get to the juice, and I'd ask you to do that until we, don't do that until we read 1 Corinthians 11, but listen to me, there may be some things this morning that you need to confess to God and say, God, forgive me for not putting those things to death. They are in my life right now, and I know they're wrong, and I want to confess them as sin, and I want to put on different things. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about not partaking of this sacrament unworthily. Some of us may need to to confess some things to the Lord. Others of us may need to maybe confess, Lord, I haven't been allowing my identity to be the motivation for me living and having a heavenly perspective. God, I I want to see myself through who I am in Jesus Christ. However way the Lord desires and, and has used his word to work in your life, you submit to it during this time. And let's do business with God this morning.